It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello and welcome to Cadillac On Call presented by the Cadillac Foundation. Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, we have cautioned you not to base your perspectives on short-term statistics. Rather, evaluate trends over a longer period of time. And as we come on the air today, we may be able to finally say we have a positive trend in the direction of COVID cases and hospitalizations following the latest surge spurred on by the Delta variant. The past several weeks have been an incredible challenge to the frontline healthcare staff who have so courageously been healing and comforting the number of COVID patients who have filled our area hospitals, and it has placed tremendous strain on that system, in some cases putting it in a highly vulnerable state. But today, the picture is much better, and the latest on our COVID situation in the region with our go-to public health expert, and that's Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, you've taught me well, don't uh, do it by one day or two days. Are we starting to see positive trends now? Yeah, there's absolutely, you know, some good news. I don't want to get over-optimistic because we know with COVID, watching it for the last 18, 19 months, uh, the trend goes up and down and up and down. But last week at this time, we were saying it was kind of plateauing, maybe a slight downward trend. And a week later, we can say that it is definitely declining ever so slightly, but we feel it's a definite declining trend actually in both counties. Um, and this is the first time since mid-August that both Benton and Franklin counties were below the 1,000 per 100,000 um, case rate in, in the various counties. So we're sitting in Benton County at 737 cases per 100,000 over a 14-day period, and Franklin County is at 935. So definitely seeing it trending in the correct uh, direction. Um, we are definitely still looking at some of those case rates for certain age groups, and we still see that that age is five years through 39 years contain, continue to remain quite high and um, some of the highest rates in the county. And then we you know, equate that to what's happening in the school and we look at the school age kids. Yeah, that's still an age that we're looking real closely at. There's a slight downward trend, but we have to be really cautious with that number because we're heading into the season where especially our high schools are going to their homecoming events, their athletic events, and when we look at cases in that age group, we really do see it is something they catch in their extracurricular activities and their private life rather than in the classroom setting. So what you're and seeing is, what, are you seeing is, so that case, it's it's not so much the transmission within the, the school setting, especially in those high schools, but obviously they're able to be a little more out and about, and it's these, these outside activities that are, that are, and then they bring it into the schools? Right. So the child is of, of school age. They test positive. They caught it out in their personal life or at an event, not inside the classroom. And that's an important distinction to make. And that is telling us that our schools and our classroom environments, they're doing a very, very good job of preventing transmission within that environment. 
Um, I think it's also really important right now to look at our, our test rates and, and what is our positivity rate because that's another indicator of the trending within our community. And we certainly look at our Columbia Basin College West test site, and we've seen a little bit of a decrease in the number of tests uh, being done out there. It processed 9,615 tests in the past 14 days, which is still a lot of tests being run, with a 16% positivity rate. And that's a decrease of about 4%. So again, we're starting to see that trend down ever so slightly. Um, but they're seeing an average of 800 people per day on the days they're open. So that's telling us there's still a lot of people at risk, a lot of people of concern out in the community. And then the walk-up testing site in Richland, they are completing about 2,000 tests over a 14-day period of time. So, you know, again, another slight downward trend in the right direction. And then, like you said early in the show, looking at those hospitalization rates, and yes, we are again starting to see a very slight downward trend in, in that data as well. But we want people to be extremely cautious. Yes, this is the right direction. But if we don't continue to do all those mitigation strategies that we've been talking about for a very long time now, these numbers could certainly very quickly turn and go the wrong direction. And the, uh, relative to the data on, on the hospitalizations and, and the numbers, I know the one that's the most serious statistic is deaths. And I know historically you've shared that the deaths increase a little bit later than those increases in cases. So we might be seeing uh, deaths at a, at, at a continued higher rate that until uh, they start to match up and lag by these declining COVID rates. You're exactly right, Jim. Um, it, it's one thing to show a hospitalization rate, but because of how we get our death data and how we confirm that it's an actual COVID-related death, that does lag a bit. And I think it's really important for people to understand that we are very diligent in how we determine if a death was really COVID-related, and that can take a little bit of time to make sure that we're giving accurate information. You, you mentioned that age rate of 5 to 39. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty wide range, but I guess to suffice it to say, we know the younger, you explain the younger situation of, of school-aged ch uh, children, but what about that, I guess, maybe 20 to 40? Is that another area of concern just because, again, it's the younger, healthier people that may feel a little less uh, susceptible to that they have to be as cautious? Yeah, that's the next age group that we see significantly higher, and it and it's that age group where... People tend to be out and about, they're in the work environment, they're starting to gather with friends again, and they are also parents. They are parents of these kids who are going to school. So it's not uncommon for us to see entire family units infected. So you have that middle adult age group, and then they, in their household, have children who are going to school, and they end up exposing each other, infecting each other, and I think that certainly affects that age group significantly. And if you would, I know I have asked this on previous programs relative to these school-aged children. What, if I'm a parent out there and my ch child is ill, whether it's with COVID symptoms or otherwise, what's your advice? What should they do? 
Uh, keep your child home if they are having any symptoms related to COVID and get them tested. And if you're not sure if it's COVID, because we so often hear the parents say, well, my child always has a runny nose or my child always suffers from allergies. Well, unfortunately, this go around, they could also be harboring COVID virus in their nose and then transmit it to others. So keep kids home, get them tested, and that way you're really going to protect the community better. And on that uh, subject of testing, you touched on uh, down to 16% positive. I want to say you said it's down 4% over a week, but that number was up in the mid-20s not too long ago, wasn't it? Right, right. And and uh, that was definitely of concern to us when we were seeing that positivity rate so high. We would really like to see it ex extremely low, much lower than what it is. But again, we're on a, a downward trend, but that trend can change so very, very quickly, especially with the Delta variant being so highly contagious. And uh, almost 100% of the COVID swirling in our community is that Delta variant. Visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District, the latest on COVID-19 in our region. We'll focus on the subject of vaccinations when we come back. More of Cadillac on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. A beautiful fall evening here in the Tri-Cities area as we are on the air with Catholic on call this evening, visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, if we could, let's shift to the focus on vaccinations. And are we starting to see, are we continuing to see ever so slight increases in the vaccination rates of our region? Yes, we're starting to see a little bit of an uptick compared to even last week. Uh, Benton County is a point nine percent higher and Franklin County is actually up by 1.2%. And we know a lot of this is related to the requirements for certain employees to be vaccinated in Washington State. And so those individuals are starting to seek out vaccination because of that reason. But the good thing is we are seeing an increase in, ever so slight again, increase in vaccination rates. We're not where we certainly want to be with the total population of Benton County being vaccinated is 46.4%. And in Franklin County, again, looking at the total population, not eligible for vaccine, but the total population, 40.6% are vaccinated. So we still have quite a ways to go if we're looking at vaccines to help prevent the spread within our community. And I know we're starting to make more news with the boosters, the Pfizer vaccine booster has been approved. And what is the status on the other boosters, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson? And then I guess maybe a secondary question after you address that is, when might we see for the under age 12, the school age, elementary age children getting their vaccine approved? Sure. We've been um, informed that the FDA will be meeting to discuss the Moderna booster on October 15, the J&J booster on October 16, 
and then have a discussion about vaccinating 5 to 11-year-olds on October 26th. But that's the FDA meeting and having their conversation and, and maybe making a decision. They might, they might not. We don't know. And then if they vote in favor of this, then the two entities that look at it next is the ACIP and the Center for Disease Control. They'll review the data. And again, if they choose to authorize, it could come very quickly after that. But um, again, there's a process that happens. Data has to be looked at. And that's why we know these vaccines are so safe is because so many scientists, medical scientists, are looking at the data before they make any recommendation to change who should be vaccinated. So would this be the emergency use authorization uh, acronym that we have learned uh, to understand, not FDA approval, right? Well, the, um, the it is Pfizer has moved to beyond for the older person, it is no longer emergency use authorization. It is fully approved. And again, Moderna and J&J is looking for that fully approved status. For bringing it down to that 5 to 11-year-old, that would go back for that age group to emergency use authorization. They need to watch the data for a while before they would reconvene again to make it FDA approved. So again, it's it's a very systematic, thoughtful, logical process for these approvals to happen. So optimistically, potentially by the end of October, we may see this, these approval for those groups that you just touched on? Yeah, that's correct. So, you know, by the end of October, early November, we should certainly know the outcome of, of what these entities have decided and how we can proceed after that. Where are we relative to uh, when people are calling you about vaccinations, your office, what is their largest concern uh, for or largest hesitancy about getting the vaccine? You know, the, the biggest concern right now isn't as much vaccine hesitancy is where can I get my record as employers and, you know, sports events, Different entities are requiring proof of vaccination. That honestly, in regards to vaccination, is our biggest question coming into our info line. And early on, we were told the importance of keeping that CDC vaccination card safe, protected, don't lose it. Well, we're human. We lose things. We misplace things. And we do get a lot of people calling very concerned, I've got to have my card. Well, Washington State Department of Health has asked local health jurisdictions like us not to duplicate the card unless we actually were the entity that provided the vaccine. So what we are asking people to do and the Department of Health is to go to, it's called myirmobile.com. And that is the best way to get your information on your vaccine. And actually, many providers, including Baton Franklin Health District, put all vaccines in there, childhood and adults. So any vaccine that you got, say, at the health department, you could find in my IR, and then you would have access to your vaccine record anytime you wanted to look at it. Any of those records that come out of that Washington State database are considered a legal, valid record and proof of vaccination. So if you lost your card, 
that's the quickest, easiest place to go and get proof. You can download that information and have it in a variety of ways, including on your phone. <laughs> and that, that's the best way to uh, show proof of your vaccination status. And that's myir.com, myrmobile.com? myirmobile.com. And if you can't, if you're struggling with that, there also is a phone number that you can call and um, get help actually doing this. And that phone number is 1-800-525-0127. Press pound and they will be able to help you. And there are some alternative language options for people who need help beyond English to go ahead and get um, help with this. And as you touched on, it, it's available for your entire immunization record. And I know oftentimes uh, kids going off to college or for a variety of reasons, you need to show your complete vaccination record. So you can get that there as well? Absolutely. If your provider and more and more are putting them into that, that system, you will be able to see all of the vaccines you got. One last question relative to vaccinations, and I know uh, there's been significant discussion about whether pregnant women or those attempting to become pregnant should be vaccinated. What's the latest? Well, the CDC gave a very strong recommendation for COVID vaccinating for pregnant, recently pregnant, or women trying to get pregnant. We know that many of the um, scientific medical boards that serve that pregnant population have certainly come out very strong regarding the importance of of getting the COVID vaccine. We know when you're pregnant, your immune system changes and you do become much more vulnerable to infections and certainly to COVID. And um, the outcome could be devastating and we've seen evidence of devastating outcomes for pregnant women across the United States. We have just a minute or two left of your time, Heather, with us, and maybe let's let's tie it all together of, of where we stand. Obviously, the fall is here, so as we get ready to go into the winter, I know that was the worry of a year ago, and it certainly bore itself out. As we get ready to go into yet another winter with COVID uh, ever so present, what's what's the advice uh, for folks at home to, to, and to enjoy their lives, but at the same time, be conscious of, of what they're facing. I think there's a couple of things to focus on. Certainly all those mitigation strategies of small groups, choose your pot of people to associate with carefully, wear face coverings, get vaccinated. But as we're looking at vaccinations, we're heading into the flu season. Flu vaccines are starting to become available. It is okay and it has been approved that you could get, say, your COVID booster on the exact same day that you get your flu shot. So you can do it in one time when you go to your provider to get vaccinated. So I think we need to think even more than just COVID to keep us safe and healthy this winter. But we need to think about flu prevention too. And as we do that, uh, we go into that winter time. uh, uh, The one thing we have always been cautious on, and you've touched about fall homecoming dances and the like and then we enter into the holiday season and we it's almost like clockwork throughout this that we have seen seen these uh these spikes that happen as a result of gatherings you're right and and we know that's going to happen we just hope that it doesn't spike too high too quickly and we know we've had lots of conversations with the schools they're trying very hard to have very safe homecoming events 
because they know the importance of keeping kids in school more than anybody. Nobody wants to go back to virtual learning. And so the schools particularly are trying very hard to prevent the spread of COVID in many of these events. As always, Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. Thanks so much for your time. We'll be back with the second half of Catholic on Call right after this. Listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program. You have just heard some cautious optimism in the face of what has been a debilitating past few months due to the latest surge of COVID in our region. Hospitalizations, thankfully, are beginning to decline, opening up more capacity for our hospitals to take care of all patients needing their services. And for a real-time update at Catholic Regional Medical Center, we welcome to the program Dr. Rich Meadows, who is the Chief Medical Officer with Catholic Clinic, which is the medical group arm of Catholic. But Dr. Meadows, thanks for taking a few minutes of your time. Optimism, cautious optimism, is that maybe the best phrase to describe the hospitalized setting and the healthcare setting currently facing the Tri-Cities? Yeah, Jim, thanks for thanks for having me on. And yeah, I'd say that's actually perfect. Uh, cautious optimism. The um, And I'll go a little deeper into that. I think many people, uh, myself included, thought that we would be hitting another surge as we headed into the usual cold and flu season when, you know, the weather's colder, people are congregating indoors, and it's more likely to expose people to you know, the germs and stuff that float around, not just COVID, but but cold and flu and everything else. And instead, we saw that surge earlier when it was still warm weather and people were outside. Thankfully, it seems to be tailing off with that surge. But of course, we worry about, you know, the normal uh, happenstance of, of winter and people congregating, you know, will flu rates be really high along with COVID? Will there be another COVID surge because people are back indoors together? Um, I think that's where the caution comes from, but the optimism is obviously seeing the numbers uh, go down. And not to necessarily get your uh, personal view on things, but, you know, we have seen the numbers come down, hospitalizations come down. Do you think it's just a combination of, I guess, we're paying more attention to these mitigation strategies and just recognizing that maybe these messages about how hard hit the hospitals have been all throughout our country – maybe have hit home? Sure. I I think, uh, and part of this is definitely my opinion, uh, but I think it's a combination of factors, Jim. So one, uh, vaccines. Yeah, we certainly, there are more people getting vaccines. We saw upticks in that as uh, the Delta variant came through and more people had the personal experience of seeing a friend or a loved one uh, get sick enough that they needed to go to the emergency department or even be hospitalized. Um, I think, you know, going back to some masking practices certainly made a difference. And then, of course, there's the aspect of the Delta variant being very contagious. Many people got the infection. And and because of that, there's a little uh, smaller reservoir of people still out there left to get the infection itself. So probably all of those things together. And and if you would, maybe to give our listeners uh, some perspective on what that means in the hospital setting, and I know you work kind of both uh, both ends of that, but but relative, we were, I think the, the numbers I'm seeing lately were 
at least at Cadillac, back into the 30s of hospitalized COVID patients. And it wasn't too long ago, if memory serves, we were in the 80s, correct? Yeah, that's correct, Jim. We, we were up in the 80s. That was kind of when things peaked. Uh, we certainly ran several weeks with numbers in the 60s and 70 kind of range. Uh, but yes, lately the numbers have definitely tailed off. You're correct, we are in the 30s. Uh, it's nice to see that. We still unfortunately do have COVID patients in the ICU and still the majority of both our overall hospitalized COVID patients and then definitely those in the ICU and, and definitely those that get intubated, um, the majority of them are unvaccinated. And I'll just add those that are vaccinated, they tend to be people who are higher risk, you know, so people with multiple uh, medical conditions, as risk factors, and especially immunosuppression. And and you, you touched on that point of, of the hospitalized COVID, and it's been pretty well chronicled that the vast majority of people needing hospitalization are not vaccinated. But there have been these so-called breakthrough cases. And I guess maybe a quick point on that, that no one said that people who are fully vaccinated aren't susceptible about getting this Delta variant, right? Yeah, that's right. Now, a um, couple things to just, you know, add clarity to that for people with the original COVID strains that were out there, uh, the initial data with the vaccines, you know, really showed a lot of prevention of the actual infection. And so I think certainly early on, there was some optimism that, hey, maybe people won't actually get the COVID infection. They'll just get the vaccine, they'll be safe and, and all is well. Obviously that changed with the Delta variant and that optimism that, hey, maybe this is a vaccine that will keep us from ever getting COVID turned more to the usual story with vaccines in that for some people it's going to prevent an infection, uh, but for more people it's going to mean if they do get infected, that infection is going to be mild and it's not going to land them in the hospital and it's certainly not going to land them in the ICU. Each response is based on a person's underlying immune system and how well they form antibodies that can protect them against a future COVID infection. And people who are older, more immunocompromised, have more um, health conditions, they, they don't form as much of an immune response as people who are younger and healthier. Maybe a two-part question, if you would. Uh, we touched on this with you when you were last on a few weeks ago, and that is you uh, still see patients as part of your work day or your work, uh, your work week, so to speak. Um, what messages do you, are they asking you, the patients that come in, whether they're vaccinated or not? What, is that message still the same, or has it changed over time? Yeah, I think it's changed a little over time. I mean, you know, early on in, in uh, COVID, everybody wanted a vaccine because we didn't have one. And, and it was, you know, the miracle we were all waiting for. Uh, once we did have the vaccine, you know, there's always questions about things, especially when things are, are new and haven't been out for a long time. The, the questions I get a lot are about, you know, do we know the side effects? Do we know if there are going to be long-term side effects? And how do I know it's going to be safe? And, and uh, how bad is COVID really? It feels like I don't really have that much of a risk of getting it. I feel like I'm pretty healthy, Doc. Why, why should I worry about this? Um, I think as, as time has um, passed, there are fewer and fewer people asking those questions, but they certainly um, do exist. And the, the long-term um, issues are, of course, hard to answer. The vaccine hasn't been out that long, but most vaccines don't have long-term side effects. You know, most side effects from vaccines happen pretty rapidly. They happen shortly after the vaccination and certainly by a couple weeks, um, but we still get those questions. And I, I would say that um, 
of late, especially with there being so many cases of the, the Delta variant in the last couple of months, I have a lot of my patients coming back who were adamantly opposed to it or were very concerned to the vaccine. And, and since then, they've been infected or they've had family members or friends infected. And now now they want to, va- to have the vaccine. And their biggest question is, how soon after the infection can I get vaccinated? And what is your What is that answer? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, perfect. Um, uh, so the answer is, uh, first off, as soon as you're out of quarantine, obviously we don't want um, people who are still uh, actively contagious um, going much of any place, um, even to get a vaccine. And the second part of that answer is as soon as you're out of quarantine and feeling relatively better. Uh, you don't have to be completely recovered from the illness, uh, but we do want people feeling, you know, well enough that if they get some, you know, some mild systemic side effects from the vaccine that they they don't feel like they have to miss, miss yet another day of work, um, you know, after uh, being out with COVID. You and uh, some of your medical colleagues within the Catholic system, I know, have done for primarily Catholic employees, but I know you've also uh, been engaged with uh out in the community as well for people just to provide a medical perspective from a leadership point of view at Catholic as well as yours as a as a medical provider to go help uh, dialogue with people who have, are still having questions. What has that been like, and, and, and what do you learn from that? Yeah. Well, first, it's, it's an honor, Jim. I mean, it's great to be able to talk to other people and, and know that they're, they're truly interested in learning about it because they have questions or concerns or you know, maybe some healthy doubts about things. I would say the things that I've taken away from those opportunities the most is just the need for trust and full transparency out there. Um, I think in our our efforts, all well-intended to make sure that we make it clear that the vaccines are, are safe overall and they're effective and, you know, they're going to keep people out of the hospital and out of the ICU and most importantly, keep them from dying. Sometimes in our eagerness to um, send that message and get it out there, there there may accidentally be a tendency to gloss over some other aspects of things that people have a lot of questions about and then feel like are being hidden from them. And I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples and things that I think came up the most in questions I've had with other people in the community. So the first is, um, you know, do the vaccines have side effects? And, and um, yes, vaccines do have side effects. Uh, the great majority of the side effects in people are very mild. You know, they're low-grade temperatures, their body aches, their headaches, uh, you feel fatigued, um, and the majority of them are gone within hours or a couple days, and, and at most people maybe miss a day of work as a result of feeling down from it, um, but nothing serious. But rarely, as with all interventions that we have out there, there are some very serious side effects from vaccines. And um, I think we have to be transparent about that. The, the risk of side effects from a vaccine versus the risk of having a bad outcome from, from COVID are, you know, pretty far apart. COVID is significantly more dangerous uh, than getting a vaccine is. But we don't want to falsely paint the picture that side effects never happen from vaccines because then people uh, distrust the whole message, uh, you know, if you, if you don't disclose the whole thing. The second question uh, that I've gotten the most after the vaccine side effects is about natural immunity following a COVID infection. And uh, the data out there is pretty clear on this. If you get a COVID infection, the uh, secondary immunity that comes from that for a reinfection with COVID 
is roughly the same as getting the vaccine. Um, now, would I advocate that you go get the infection over getting the vaccine? Of course not, because the infection is higher risk. You're more likely to end up with a bad outcome, to end up in the, the hospital, the ICU, uh, more likely to have long COVID, right, which we, we still you know, don't understand and don't know how to treat. Um, but uh, we want to be transparent about that. And then the second uh, part of that message that I try to deliver to people is, Yes, while the infection is going to give you some natural immunity, there's also very good studies out there that show if you get the vaccine after having the infection, you get about two and a half times the amount of protection against a reinfection um, with whatever the next variant is, right? Right now it's Delta variant and thankfully it's dying down, but I think most of us in the medical community believe that there will be future variants that um, may be more infectious again and and there's no way to be certain um, how protective that natural immunity is going to be against a new variant. Amazing uh, information. We have one more segment with Dr. Rich Meadows, the chief medical officer with Cadillac Clinic, and we'll talk more with him right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. We have a few minutes left with Dr. Rich Meadows, the Chief Medical Officer at Cadillac Clinic, who's graciously shared some of his time on a Wednesday evening to get us the latest at Cadillac relative to COVID-19. And Dr. Meadows, before we let you go, just a couple of more questions, because your perspective to me is so unique, because you have this kind of foot in both uh, both camps, and that you're seeing what's happening within the entire Cadillac system, but at the same time, you're still seeing patients uh, in your office. And so with that, I, I guess I would ask one more question relative to the office side of things. And, and I think I asked you this a few weeks ago, but I, I found it interesting is that this has been going on so long that you're seeing patients probably that that got covid what, maybe in March or April of 2020, and here we are a year and a half later. Yeah, that's right. It is It is strange. Um, uh, it's, it's an interesting um, phenomenon, and, uh, you know, some of my patients have had it twice, um, and, and that obviously uh, comes as a great surprise to them. And is it the, there, we've heard this long hauler syndrome or this, the thing that they're still experiencing, whatever the effects are all these months later, regardless how severe the case they may have had? Yeah, that does happen, Jim. Um, it's still pretty poorly understood. Uh, now, it's not overly surprising. There are a lot of viral syndromes out there that lead to some potentially long-term uh, symptoms, uh, fatigue, uh, joint aches, headaches, things like that tend to be the most common. And um, COVID certainly has those too. There's a, there's a long list of potential long-term symptoms. So uh, chronic cough, chronic shortness of breath, chronic fatigue, headaches, uh, kind of a mental haziness and, and sense of overall confusion from things, uh, and a host of other items as well. But yeah, it, it exists and uh, it's frustrating. Um, patients don't like it. They want to feel better. And unfortunately, at this point in time, we don't have any, any good proven treatments. Well, we have just a minute or so left uh, for maybe some context from your view as, as we wrap this up. Uh, we're seeing progress, which is great news in cases, hospitalizations, uh, even testing. It sounds like the test positivity rate, as Heather mentioned in our first part of our program, is uh, is coming down and the vaccination rate is going up. So all of these indicators 
that have been so challenging and, and frankly, uh, painting such a bleak picture are starting to head in the right uh, room. But I guess maybe that cautious optimism as as we get ready, we have holidays coming up. Everybody wants to continue to enjoy themselves outdoors, indoors, wherever. But as as a medical provider going into this type of season, is is that your, your takeaway message today? Yeah, still, still cautious optimism. Still, take the same precautions, Jim. Um, you know, get your COVID vaccine. Listen, listen to your healthcare provider. Uh, look at the science that's out there, and um, get your flu shot. You know, that makes a difference too. If you're sick, stay home and isolate. Um, wear your masks when you're in public, and um, stick with the things that we know work. Uh, undoubtedly, we'll you know we'll see more of this and um, the. The better we can get on the front end of that and preventing it, the better off we'll be. And is it a case where it seems like uh, it's just we're going to have to get used to it and just deal with it the best we can until we get more of this, more of the vaccine uh, numbers to where they need to be? You know, I think so. There's still enough pockets of people out there that um, have not been infected, have not been vaccinated, who are who are prone to getting the infection, spreading it to others. And, um, and unfortunately, some of those others uh, that get it are going to be people who have health conditions that put them at risk for hospitalization and death. And I'm sure we'll see it. I hope the numbers continue to decline. Um, but uh, we need to really make all of our efforts to um, purposefully make them decline by doing the right things. Well, well said. Dr. Rich Meadows, the Chief Medical Officer with Cadillac Clinic, thanks so much for taking the time, and thank you for your time of listening to our program out there in the listener land of 610 KONA. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk again next Wednesday.